0: This is the Hidden Why podcast episode 654 with Daniel J Siegel. Aware: The Science and Practice of Presence. Guys, this is a fantastic conversation. Enjoy. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. I hope you're well. How the heck are you? Lee Manutzi here. Thanks for tuning in, guys, to another fantastic episode. Guys, this is so inspiring. This is a fantastic conversation with Daniel J. Siegel. So in this interview, I discuss his new book, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. Dan provides us with insight into the practical instruction for mastering the Wheel of Awareness, a life-changing tool for cultivating more focus, presence, and peace in one's day-to-day life. We discussed the three pillars of mind training or mindfulness, focused attention, open awareness and kind intention and how the science is proving that these elements in practice can help reduce stress and inflammation, improve cardiovascular function and our immune system and even extend life. Mind training assists us with intentional change and definitely leads to creating healthier, happier lives. Guys, it's a fantastic conversation. It really is. I hope you get a lot of value out of it. Uh, He's got a new book coming out called Aware, so do support him with that. Um, I've got a copy in my hands that I'm eager to get reading now that I've interviewed him as well. And guys, um, you know what? Meditation and mindfulness practice has certainly helped me a long way. And this just gives me uh, a little bit more knowledge and understanding about what it's all about. And the science definitely backs up that it does have significant benefits in leading longer, healthier lives. So enjoy. Until next time. See ya
1: yes lee is this you
0: yeah hey welcome to the hidden Wire.
1: great how are you how are you how you doing
0: i'm fantastic yeah loving it Good. how are you doing
1: i'm doing very well thanks whereabouts great are you day. uh i'm in santa monica california
0: well, there you go and uh, lovely day today
1: yeah it's a great day thanks uh, how's it down under
0: it's a coolish morning. We're coming into coming out of winter here, so it's um yeah it's about just on five thirty in the morning. So um, oh my
1: gosh, you're up early. What town are you in?
0: I like getting up early. Uh, morning morning hours are great, aren't they? Yeah, they are.
1: And which uh, which city are you
0: in? In oh, it's Sunshine Coast, so north of Brisbane on the on oh, the fantastic. east coast of Australia. Yeah, have, oh, have, have so you travelled here?
1: There. Yes, I have, and I love it up there.
0: Yeah, nice one. Mate, well look. I'm, I'm privileged to have you on the show, and looking forward to talking about your work. Um, definitely a new book, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence um, so it's definitely a topic that we talk a lot about on the show here with um, other guests and myself, um, I'm a big fan of it um, not saying that I'm any good at it, <laughs> the practice of yeah. presence um, but that's why we love to talk to people like you who have a lot of knowledge around it um, not only the science but the practices as well so uh, yeah thanks for coming on the show and taking the time.
1: Oh pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: So um, just give us a little bit of a, a background about yourself, Daniel, first of all, I suppose. Tell us um, you know, what, you, what got you started in this field. Um, I know you've always um, sort of practiced um, looking at the brain and, and how interactions um, affect or implicate with our relationships and our behavior and, and things like that. But yeah, give us a little bit of insight from your perspective.
1: Well, you know, for a podcast about the hidden why, Guy, uh, you know, For me, I was always interested in the why beneath, you know, our existence, the why beneath our behavior, the why beneath our experience. And that journey went through just a whole series of things, kind of going into molecules as a biochemistry student to working on a suicide prevention service and thinking about, you know, why does life unfold sometimes where people feel like, there's no reason to continue existing Hmm. and they decide to end their lives. And so that all sort of was flowing into the experience of becoming a physician. So I went to medical school and uh, ultimately after pediatrics went to psychiatry and then became a researcher studying, you know, why the parent child relationship was so profoundly important for how the child's mind developed. Uh, and then from there, I uh, ended up thinking, why wouldn't we just combine all the sciences into one, you know, like everything from anthropology and sociology to biology, chemistry, and physics and math. And so I started working in a field in the early 90s hmm. that ultimately became called interpersonal neurobiology, which is creating such a framework of all the sciences together. And And then the question that came from that work was, you know, why do um, experiences of human suffering present themselves as uh, chaos or rigidity or both, and what's underneath all that? And so that led to, you know, an exploration of what the mind is, and really the question of why, all these why questions, why don't the fields that deal with the mind have a definition of the mind? Uh, And that led me to offering a definition of the mind, you know, back over 25 years ago that then has had some very useful um, uh, ways of trying to uh, make proposals about what a healthy mind might be. And then in the course of uh, uh, writing a book for uh, graduate school, really, um, my daughter's preschool director, she looked at the book and said, Oh, you should teach this to our parents and our, our teachers in the preschool. So I started doing that. And then ultimately she and I wrote a book together, Mary Hartzell, a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and we wrote a book called parenting from the inside out. And there we said, parents should be intentional, awake, conscientious, caring, all these things. And we used the phrase, be mindful to mm. summarize all those qualities. And then the students in our workshop said, well, when are you gonna teach us to meditate? And neither Mary nor myself was a meditator. Wow. And I was already writing things that are pretty outrageous in terms of not fitting in with the standard conservative academic viewpoint, like the mind is not a synonym for the brain. Um, and so I was a little nervous when they said when do they teach us to meditate? So that's when I actually first learned about the formal practice of mindfulness meditation, then got connected with people in that field and Sort of from my field, interpersonal neurobiology sort of tried to understand the parallels between parent-child relationships that are attuned and the attuned inner experience you have with mindfulness meditation. And that ultimately led to this latest book, uh, Aware: the Science and Practice of Presence," that kind of takes a deep dive into some of these questions of why.
0: It's a great little word, isn't it, that uh, that word why? Why do you say that? I just think... <laughs> oh, that's a joke. <laughs> it's yeah, a, um, it is a great word. It's obviously yeah. a word that can trigger great curiosity. And um, I don't know, No, I mean, have you gotten any close to finding out, you know, the answers to some of those questions that you've you've been asking probably all your life? You know, what, what's behind the existence? Why
1: Why do we exist? Yeah, this? I mean, I, I, there are some really interesting further questions that come out, and uh, I'm happy to talk to you about them. In fact, you know, where, what was so deeply both rewarding and incredibly exciting for me is to really invite people to join in a conversation about the nature of being aware that turns out to have a huge um uh, implication for how we connect with our own inner life, how we connect with another individual, how we connect in groups and even, it turns out, how we connect to the planet, to nature, um, how we take care of Earth. And so it's, I'm really incredibly excited as well as grateful for what, what, um, what's about to happen because the, the proposals in AWARE are um, taking our conversation to a different level than uh, any of the things I've been able to read about the nature of consciousness um, in a way that I hope will be both very practical. So it's a practical guide to developing presence, but also, you know, um, have a kind of purpose to it. That is, you know, how do we how we have service to others and um, and to the well-being on Earth.
0: Yeah, great. Um, and so the book's obviously been published, mm-hmm. so it's available online for people to pick up. Let's just um, you know talk a little bit about the 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 practice of mindfulness and, you know, how you've developed that and, and your techniques to teach others to develop that in their own lives.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, the word, just like the word mind um, does not have an absolutely accepted final definition, although uh, there are many definitions of mindfulness, but the word mind actually doesn't actually have any definitions, a lot of descriptions. Mindfulness has many different offerings. And so the simplest the simplest way of starting that discussion is to say that the gist of what people mean by uh, phrases like be mindful or do mindfulness meditation. uh, The gist is that it it includes um, basically being able to focus attention in a directed way. And then cultivate a a kind of open awareness that um, allows you to embrace what is as it is. So to be aware of what's happening as it's happening is the way Susan Kaiser Greenland talks about it. Or Jack Kornfield and Trudy Goodman Kornfield with Ram Dass call it, you know, loving awareness or Shauna Shapiro calls it kind attention. And for some people... um, that loving, kind, caring, compassionate, um, you know, attitude is not a part of mindfulness, actually. And they consider that a part of compassion training or kindness training or loving kindness training. Um, and so there's a, there is an active debate that we yeah. should honor in the field. Yeah. So so some people would put caring, kind, loving, compassionate uh, intentions absolutely within what we mean by mindfulness or mindfulness training or mindful awareness. And other people say, absolutely not. Those are separate trainings. So the way um, I handle that in the Aware book, wanting to honor the controversy is I call it basically mind training that has three established pillars, if you will, like holding up a, a ceiling of a building. These pillars are focused attention training, open awareness training, And what I call kind intention training, which could be, you know, training of course intentions of kindness, care, compassion, love, concern, you know, a positive regard toward one's inner experience, and the experience of uh, those that inhabit other bodies. You know, I don't. I try not to use the word others. You don't want other each other, but. Anyway, so, so mind training is something you can define pretty clearly, look at the research for each of those three pillars, and show what three-pillar mind training does, yep. and what you want to call all that mindfulness, that's fine, but other people don't like that, so you want to respect them too, so we'll just call it mind training. Mind training, so that's, yeah, focus attention, the pillars, again, the three pillars are uh, focusing
0: attention or focused attention training, uh, yep. open awareness training, and kind attention training.
1: Exactly, and, and, they're, and they're distinct, you know, and, and yeah. it, it turns out there was this, uh, we, this is practice that I developed years ago before I knew there was something called mindfulness or mindful awareness or mindfulness meditation. It, it was two ideas that had come forward in interpersonal neurobiology. One was that integration was the basis of health, and integration is where you differentiate things, you allow them to be different or unique or specialized, and then you take these segregated elements and you link them together into an integrated whole and it turns out that that's a really useful way to understand why when a system a complex system is not optimizing its self-organization with integration it leads to either chaos on the one hand or rigidity on the other like a river mm. and the optimal flow the central flow of the river of integration is a river of harmony that's flexible and adaptive and Holds together well over time called coherent. It's energized, meaning it has a sense of vitality and stable. So the bottom line is, you know, integration is health. And the second concept that came from interpersonal neurobiological thinking was consciousness is needed for intentional change. So with my patients, I said, well, what if we integrate consciousness? And uh, so that's how the wheel of awareness was born in a way we can, I can tell you about in a moment, but basically if you take those two scientific ideas, consciousness needed for intentional change and growth and integration is health, and then combine them into the question, can we integrate consciousness? Um, that's where this wheel of awareness practice comes from. Okay. So what, I mean,
0: looking at the the mind training, obviously it's got a purpose to you know, bring I guess to those pillars, focused attention, open awareness, and kind attention. what is the the issue, I suppose, or the crux of the problem that exists with the mind um, in in most people that is causing
1: suffering, causing uh, disease unease yeah, yeah exactly well that that is a really important starting question, and you know I can say as a you know person on the planet you know with you Lee, and also you know just as a Let's say as a father, or as a researcher studying this exact question in families, or as a therapist, you know, or a mental health educator. Um, and I'm also, you know, a, a kind of an integrative scientist, an interpersonal neurobiology person. Yeah. Here's how I would answer that: a mind that does not cultivate integration within the body, including the brain and the head, or within relationships, including our connections with another person or other people or even the planet. Um, A mind that does not cultivate integration is prone to uh, being a part of a life that is either chaotic or rigid. And not in a state of harmony and that faces flow of F flexible, A adaptive, C coherent, E energizes, and yeah. S stable. That faces flow is what well-being is. So you're then asking, so that's that's the underlying proposal. And then you're asking why would a mind not cultivate integration if integration is kind of a natural output. And there's a lot of reasons why. People can have trauma in their life, they can genetically inherit. Um, vulnerabilities to a non-integrated brain so that many of the major psychiatric disorders that are likely not caused by uh, attachment experiences or any other experiences you know if they have a genetic component to them what all of them show amazingly is impaired integration in the brain in the head and what you see with that is the chaos or rigidity of whatever whether it's manic depressive illness or you know, depression or anxiety or, hmm. or autism, there's impaired integration in the brain. And that's probably um, not due to what people have experienced. But then if you have severe developmental trauma or, um, you know, in the form of abuse or neglect, yeah. there's also impaired integration in the brain. So, so far, you know, mental suffering in its most formal conditions called the psychiatric disorder. When we study the brains of individuals with those disorders, without exception, every single study has revealed impaired integration of the brain. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the opposite of that, that is, you know, study, uh, you know, people who have uh, degrees of well-being, every measure of well-being that the Human Connectome Project, a formal research uh, uh, initiative, Every measure of well being they could measure, um, the best predictor of well being across the board was how integrated your brain was. How do you um, look for that, the integration of the brain? Like, how do you know ways. it's impaired or, or integrated? Yeah, two ways. You look for both functional integration, how um, in a functional MRI, let's say, or you can do other studies of functionality, how the differentiated areas are collaborating and connecting with each other as networks. So it's a network analysis. You can also look at uh, network structure. And basically, for example, with the connectome, what you see is um, the differentiated areas and how they're linked. You literally can can show this on a scan or, you know, that's the connectome. The three major three major integrative areas that are compromised in, let's say, developmental trauma are the hippocampus, yeah, the corpus that that is linking differentiated areas to each other. The corpus callosum that links the differentiated left and right hemispheres to each other, and the prefrontal cortex behind your forehead that's linking widely separated areas to each other. Um, each of those four: hippocampus, corpus callosum, prefrontal cortex, and the connectome overall, the overall interconnected. Connect home, that's the way they talk. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, is um, whether it's functional or structural, you basically see um, compromises. Or, yeah, or not. Or not. Right. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing. And the fascinating thing it's about It's amazing
0: it, that you can actually study all that. I mean, it's well over my head, but um, yeah.
1: it's. Oh, my God. It's so amazing because ultimately, integration in the brain allows for regulation of everything you can name attention, emotion, thought behavior, self-understanding, relationships, morality, amazingly, Hmm. brain integration is what predicts those. And what's fascinating, too, is that if you take the three-pillar training, you know, focused attention, open awareness, kind intention, and say, what is it, do in the brain as far as we know it leads to a more integrated brain in each of those four ways you could describe it corpus callosum hippocampus prefrontal cortex more integrated the connectome more interconnected so hmm. amazingly the exact areas that are compromised in trauma are exactly the areas that independent research not of traumatized people but just of you know regular subjects going not that people traumatized aren't regular but just a non clinical population that's going through uh, you know, this mind this mind training practices, they grow a more integrated brain. That's why people become more regulated. So growing more integrated brains, helping people become more healthy and obviously uh, Yeah, well the healthy part, Lee, is just worth naming. So we all have it outlined in front of us. You know, and I sent this to all the researchers who do this, and I'll just say them one yeah. by one. You reduce stress, so cortisol levels are decreased, stress hormone levels are decreased. You improve cardiovascular factors like cholesterol levels, improve blood pressure, heart rate, stuff like that. So that's number two. So we have, you know, cardiovascular factors and stress are are optimized. You then, that as stress is reduced, you've got um, your immune system is improved and how it functions more robust. Um, the the non DNA molecules that regulate gene expression called epigenetic regulators. Epi is on top of so epigenetic regulators are. A, Molecule that sits on top of genes. It it is configured with these three pillar trainings to reduce inflammation. Hmm. So that's really that's really healthy for you. And the final thing that we know at this moment is an enzyme that repairs the ends of your chromosomes called telomerase. Oh yeah, the ends of the chromosomes are called telomeres. It's optimized when you develop these trainings, and so what that means is that your cells can reproduce longer, so they're healthier. And, you know, when I turned in my book uh, to people to consider writing endorsements for it, um, one of the the number one researchers on aging on the planet, Alyssa Eppel, who wrote a beautiful book called The Telomere Effect with her Nobel Prize winning uh, colleague Elizabeth Blackburn, what Blackburn and Eppel uh, showed, and this is what Alyssa Eppel Emailed me. She said, Dan, Dan, you know, have you sent your book to the printer yet? I said, no, no, not yet. It's going like any day now. What what did what did I leave out? She goes, well, everything is accurate, but you left out one thing. I said, what was that? She says, you need to say it slows the aging process. Right. So I wrote back to her. I said, can I really say it slows the aging process? She goes, absolutely. That's what we have shown. So three pillar training slows the aging process, too. And that's part of the, you know... So that, that can product. obviously
0: lead to, to longevity or, or longer life, all these things, really. That's,
1: you know, that's what we would hope to see. We, those, you know, long-term studies haven't been done, but when you when you can show that the immediate slowing of the aging process uh, is there with the telomerase changes, um, then you want to do like a 30-year study and show that that's, you know, that carries out yeah, in the long run. So clear. you say... Yeah. Clearly we need mind process. training and a pill. <laughs> well, this is interesting. You know, if you listed these positive outcomes, you know, it integrates your brain and creates these five demonstrated physiological changes of well being, including slowing the aging process, and you said there is a pill, you know, everyone would invest in that company and everyone would start taking it. And the fact is we know what that intervention is. It's three pillar mind training. Mm. And the wheel, the wheel of awareness turns out to have all three of the pillars. well, wow. just by accident. <laughs> you know, so it's cool stuff so that's, it? that's really uh, exciting. I mean, really exciting. and and the um
0: what did you call it In, intentional change? Um, you know yeah. Yeah, just using that mind training to bring about intentional change is, is quite powerful too. Because I've heard there's a lot of studies around, you know, people with addictions using mindfulness um, or mind training to help them overcome addictions and things like that. And I've certainly noticed since I've been practicing um, an ability, an increasing ability to, um, you know, change my certain behaviours um, with great ease. I suppose.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, I was just uh, talking to someone recently who said, you know, he has a you know difficult time not drinking, you know, when he goes out to dinner with friends and he really doesn't want to drink anymore. And I said, well, what's it like? He goes, oh, I just, you know, my childhood was so hard and I feel like I'm depriving myself because I really, I really want to drink. And I said, well, you know, if you, if you do the wheel and you get into the hub of the wheel, which is this experience of spacious awareness, and then consider the following um, image that in your reward circuits, you have two very physically aligned areas, but they're not exactly the same. One is the wanting slash needing circuit. The other right next to it is the like circuit. So why don't you, when you go to dinner tonight, I said, why don't you just realize that for many, many years, because you don't want to deprive yourself of what you want or need, you know, You've done the drinking thing and that activates your reward circuits. The alcohol does. I want you just to take a pause. He's been doing the wheel. So do the wheel, get into the hub. And then I want you to consider that you like drinking alcohol and you're choosing from the spaciousness of your hub. Tonight, you're not going to drink. You don't have to make a decision for the rest of your life tonight. You're not going to drink. That doesn't take away the fact that you like alcohol. Fine but you don't need it or you don't want it in the sense that I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it I'm not having it, I'm depriving myself. No, <laughs> if you like something, I can say at you know 11 p.m., I like chocolate, but I don't choose to eat it. I'm not depriving myself. I just prefer to sleep because chocolate keeps me up.
0: It's sort of looking at that, well, it's just being present in that moment of exactly. that decision and not allowing that to have any connection to your identity or your future or, you know, whatever, that there's actually
1: nothing anyway. Exactly. And and especially, you know, when you take that spaciousness as you're saying, Lee, of being present, uh, presence is everything. I mean, it's why, you know, I made the subtitle aware, you know, the science and practice of presence. It's a kind of deep capacity that we often don't tap into. We're usually aware of something, which in the wheel of awareness you know, is the differentiated knowns of awareness and we're lost in that. Like I need alcohol. I need alcohol. I need alcohol. But when you develop the knowing, which is the hub in this visual metaphor of, of the mind, you know, you can sit in the hub, this awareness, that's where presence comes from and just say, Oh, I see on the rim. One part of me is saying I need alcohol. Oh, but you know, somebody I can check out that other part that says I like alcohol and from the spaciousness of my hub, with this kind of presence, I choose not to drink. So I heard from him; he didn't drink, and he said it was absolutely not a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's a, um, yeah. And as a as a ex smoker myself, um, I know that that certainly uh, is beneficial um, with
1: smoking addiction. Absolutely, yeah. And across the board, you know, I mean, Jud Brewer does some wonderful, wonderful systematic research, you know, about these interventions of this open awareness, this mm. presence, you know, um, and its capacity to really help with addiction. So I'm, I'm glad it helps you with smoking because it's good not to smoke. It's, um, so let's talk about the, the
0: wheel of awareness. Can you run us through sort of a, a simple guide to that? I mean, I want to encourage obviously people to pick up the book and read all the science and, and, um, practices that you mentioned in there, but, um, can you describe the
1: wheel of awareness to us? Absolutely, so if you take the idea of integrating consciousness, it sounds like a weird concept, but it's actually quite simple. integrating consciousness. integration is different. what's that? yeah,
0: I was just repeating integrating consciousness
1: consciousness, yes, yeah, I mean it sounds like, well, oh my God, but it's the basis of what we're about to talk about is that you're going to differentiate the knowing and put it in the hub of a wheel. It's actually a table here in the office, but imagine a wheel with a hub, yeah, we'll put the knowing, and like if I say. I say, good day, Lee. Now, did you know I said good day? Yeah. Yeah. So you have two things going on there. You have the knowing I said good day, and that's um, put that in the hub. And then on the rim, we're going to put the sound um, of good day, right? I'm not probably not. How do you say it in Australia? G'day. (laughs) G'day. G'day, G'day, mate. So, okay. So you have good day, right? So now in In the knowns being on the rim, of course, you have more than sound. You can have sound for hello and ocean and, you know, a ton of things. So if you picture this rim having four segments, the first segment would be the first five senses, you know, sound, uh, light, smell, the taste, touch, right? And then you move this metaphoric spoke of attention over if you do those one by one. And then you move the spoke over in this exercise to the interior signals of the body. So these are the sensations of muscles, bones, genitals, internal organs. And then you move the spoke over again. After you do that systematically one by one, and you move it over to now um, a different kind of practice. Those first two segments were focused attention, one by one going through the different senses of the Outside world and the inside world. Now, as you move to the third segment, we're going to explore mental activities and cultivate open awareness. So, here you're just sitting in the hub with the spoke to mental activities like feelings or thoughts, memories, images, hopes, dreams, longings, desires, whatever. And you're just basically saying, Bring it on. And you're opening awareness to whatever arises and in the first part of that you just explore whatever comes in maybe lots of things come in maybe one thing comes in at a time maybe nothing comes it's all good nothing there's no right or wrong and then in the second part of it you actually study the characteristics with which a mental activity that arises does arise like let's say it's a thought yeah. does it come from one place to the other sudden gradual and once it's in awareness how does it stay there Then once it's there, how does it then leave? Is it just replaced by another mental activity? And if it's not replaced, um, what does the gap feel like between mental activities? And then in an advanced step, we even add a thing where you bend the spoke of tension around into the hub or just retract the spoke into the hub or just keep it in the hub or just have no spoke at all. The idea is to have awareness of awareness. So you're further in this open awareness practice distinguishing hub from rim. Yeah. And then, after you explore that amazing uh, dive into awareness itself, just the hub on the hub, you then straighten out the spoke or send the spoke out to the fourth and final segment of the rim, which is our relational connections to other people, to the planet. Uh, And people explore that first with just a sense of connectivity, so it's a sense of interconnection. Um, And then, when I presented this to um, a, a brain science lab, Richie Davidson's lab in the University of Wisconsin, In Madison, you know, they said, you know, this is a cool practice. Why don't you add some verbal statements that are said internally? And I said, well, there's no research to show that that actually does anything. They go, actually, we completed the first study to show that. And uh, Hmm. then other people also did studies. So I added another aspect where you make statements of of kind intention, you know, of care for all living beings, of oneself, and an integrated sense of the self as what I call we. Yeah. And that's I just, it. i just heard more about that too. Um, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean and you do it and it's kind of amazing where it takes people. So it's both incredibly integrative. Obviously it's an integration of consciousness practice and it's doing your three pillars. It's doing focused attention the first two segments, open awareness in the second and the third segment, and then the fourth segment is, you know, kind intention is what you develop. So it it just just by itself it turned out to have what research shows are, the th- are three crucial aspects of mind training, and you, these are usually, those are usually done in separate practices. The wheel has it in one practice all wrapped into one wheel of awareness. So a
0: practice would look like sitting down and going through each of these segments?
1: Yeah. I mean, you would do that. You could do it listening to my uh, voice doing it. You can memorize it and do it on your own. Um, you know, we, 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 people stream it from our website, so it's distributed okay. from here. Have you got a, yeah. a, a, um, an app, a meditation app or anything? Like it's that? not an app. It's just a simple, you know, come to drdansiegel.com, go to resources and right. do the wheel. Everyone wants us to do an app. Um, and I guess we should think about that. I, you know, there's so many apps out there, yeah, what are, like 2 million apps, That, you know, we 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 try to keep life simple (laughs) and the wheel, as you'll see in a moment when you get into like that's the metaphor of a wheel. But what's the real mechanism of the mind? And it gets so deep and so wonderfully um, applicable to lots of areas in life. We feel like we are like a living app without having to have a digital app
0: you know yeah no fair enough to totally understand so we can go to
1: you um daniel yeah well it's dr for doctor and then dan d-a-n so dr dan yeah. and then siegel dot com. go to resources tab and if you're starting the wheel for the first time you know and you're you know in the book it says to do this but i'll just say this do the basic wheel first so you're not like Doing the loving kindness statements yet, and you're not doing the flipping the, um, the spoke around. Those are, you know, when you get used to the wheel after, you know, a couple of times trying it or a couple of weeks, whatever feels right to you, then do the, the full wheel. Um, and you'll see different practices. And if you're reading the book, there's even a, a, a new one we just put up where I combine the active wheel practice with the mechanisms of mind that the aware book talks about in great depth. Yeah. And and then at the end of the book, what you do is you get to see five individuals who you met at the beginning of the book with just the wheel metaphor. And then you see through your own practice of the wheel and this deep discussion of the possible mechanism of mind, you then see how these five people beyond just using metaphoric terms, what the likely mechanism or possible mechanism of the mind is and why doing the wheel actually changed their life. And then the the final part of the book is you do it yourself. So what we decided to do is put up a wheel of awareness practice on our website so people could, once you've read part two of the book and you've finished the mechanisms of mind, you can now do a wheel where it actually also, now that you've explored these mechanisms of mind, it kind of walks you through those. Because I did a study of 10,000 people you know, without doing that. So I could just have this kind of raw data. And now that that study is done and many, many more people are doing it, you know, now we're having the fun of sort of creatively adding, uh, the discussions into the practice itself with some really fun results. So it's a, it's a great community of wheel of awareness practitioners who start to be able to, you know, have conversations with each other at this extremely, uh, deep uh, way that links science and spirituality and meditation and health and all these things into one um, really fun conversation it's awesome stuff I'm just
0: on the uh, website now at resources and looking at the hub and um, yeah three uh, guided meditations there yeah
1: Quite you successful. see that yeah. I, I, we literally we just put it up a few hours ago so is it I'll ask you is it up there where it says advanced meditation uh, you know with the 3p framework don't do unless you've read part two is that on there too
0: i've got um resources wheel of awareness yeah but then it's got i've got to click it and then sign up i think put my email in there
1: oh okay all right we'll check later anyway no. it'll be there soon if it's not there quite yet because sometimes that, they have to like frame it properly so what is your what does your practice look like like a daily sort of ritual sort of
0: routine for you around you know mind training
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I do the wheel every day. So, um, what's really fascinating about that is, you know, um, every day is different. So people say, don't you get bored with it? Well, I mean, it's just basically entering this incredibly integrative state that, um, on one hand, it kind of, everything on the rim is different every day. That's for sure. Yeah. But when you, when you, cultivate this access to the hub, um, the quality of daily life shifts. So, um, you get this kind of more spacious sense of clarity and tranquility that not just myself, but you know, that lots and lots and lots of people describe. Hmm. So, you know, and, and then, you know, so that's my practice. So it can take you know you can we have a seven minute version up on the website so you can do the wheel in seven minutes so with each breath you move the spoke um there's a, you know a 20 minute version and a 30 minute version i mean there's different different lengths of time depending on what time you have yeah um you know and so uh, so that's my practice every you know I, I pretty much every day i do the wheel and nice. it's uh so what does that great. look
0: like for you like paint the picture is it is it in the morning in the evening at any time is it in the office you know like how do you
1: yeah the research suggests for a number of reasons that if you can aim for the morning time it's probably a good thing to start your day that way you know yeah it, makes uh, sense. it really really does for a number of reasons one it probably sets the stress hormone cortisol at a certain level that's better for you, if you can sort of set your morning routine that way. The second thing is that, you know, if you're like me, I mean, there's going to be something later in the day that distracts you. So I try and, (laughs) yeah, so I try to do the practice either. We have a little meditation area in our house. I do it there. I do it in the bedroom. If, you know, there's a bunch of people sleeping over and they're sleeping in the meditation room, you know, I'll do it in my room. Uh, you know, sometimes like this morning, you know, I really had to get out because I hadn't worked out for a while. So I went to the gym and then I did the wheel in the steam bath. Okay. That was pretty fun. Um, you can do it on an airplane, you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily do it when you're driving because, uh, you know, especially when you get into the hub and hub part, it gets pretty, um, pretty deep, you mm-hmm. know, and we can talk about that. And, uh, um, so I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't recommend doing it when you're behind the wheel of a car. That sure. I would not recommend <laughs> that. Maybe that's true of any any meditation. Um, but in, in, in other in other ways, there's lots of creative ways you can you know you can do it. And even in a pinch, when you've done the wheel repeatedly and it becomes you're really used to it, then at a pinch, you know you can drop into the hub when you need to because you've done it so often. So that, even without doing a formal reflective time i 'm going to meditate now whatever meditation just means training the mind you 've done it so much that now you can you 're more like living from the hub and so accessing that spacious awareness, um, that receptive place of presence mm. um, becomes really this is what people have described repeatedly it's just the the um, the quality of your living, your, your capacity to, you know, it's kind of uh, have this open thing. It's kind of like this wonderful analogy uh, that that I think is people have heard of before. But you know, if consciousness is like a container of water, and life's challenges are like a tablespoon of salt, if the container of water you have is like the size of an espresso cup, and someone dumps that tablespoon of salt into your espresso cup, it's just too salty to drink. But if you've learned to cultivate a really really open container of water 100 Mm. gallons or more and then life dishes out its usual tablespoon of salt and you throw it in 100 gallons of water and it gets stirred up you can drink that water manageable yeah it's 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 completely manageable and that's i think what you know accessing the hub is the metaphor Uh, we can talk about the problem mechanism but you know i think that's what you do and it's 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 just such a, it's so I feel so grateful that um, this simple visual image of a wheel has been so uh, accessible to not just adults and adolescents, but even to young kids. Kindergarten. We're teaching kindergarten kids, five year olds this. And one example I just give you is little Billy was kicked out of one kindergarten for beating up a kid on the yard, mm. came to school to Miss Smith's class. She writes me an email about all this. And she teaches all her kids the Wheel of Awareness as a drawing, not as a meditation. And Billy, you know, comes to her during recess and says, Miss Smith, you know, you got to give me a break. I'm on the yard. Joey took my block. I'm about to hit him. I'm lost on my rim. I got to get back to my hub. (laughs) And she gave him a break. He he looked at the wheel, imagined being in the hub and could then have flexibility in how he responded. Mm. And. she wrote me months later that he's, you know, woven into the classroom beautifully now. So I know it sounds like ridiculously simple hub and rim and spoke, but actually it's an incredibly powerful visual image, a a metaphor that really empowers people to differentiate hub from rim and then to have choice and change in their life. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Um,
0: Certainly, I've got a book in in uh, my possessions here, so I'm going to read through that book. I'm going to jump online here and check out the meditations as well. I may even do one this morning, and um, yeah, give it a go. I know there's there's probably a lot more to it as far as understanding um, everything behind it, but basically, you've given us a lot of information today to um, yeah to to encourage us, I suppose. First of all, to do some more mind training in our life.
1: Absolutely, it's accessible to everyone, Lee. And here's the thing. You know, especially when you when you do get a chance and it is good to do it in the book rather than just in a short time on a podcast. But, you know, when you do dive into the mechanisms, you come to understand a potential view of what the mind actually is and how doing mind training. Yes, it brings you all these health benefits and it also brings us more in connection with each other. Yeah. each other you know each other as people and each other as nature um, and so on many levels the inner and the relational you know this mind training is you know basically a free practice while that while it costs nothing it can mean everything yeah because it really enhances your your physiological well-being and your relational Health as well, so it's an exciting moment, and um, I'm really grateful to you for inviting me on.
0: No, I appreciate you sharing. I've got some quick round questions I want to ask Daniel. Absolutely. I clear <throat> my throat, um, I'm just going to pop them up here because I don't actually have them open. The <clears throat> excuse me. The first question I want to ask you is: What are your routines, rituals that you believe contribute to your success?
1: So say it again, what are the, what, the
0: what are your rituals? routines or rituals that you believe contribute routines. to your success?
1: Routines or rituals? Wow. Hmm. Well, I mean, routines or rituals, I guess I would say presence, you know, is, yeah, <laughs> I try to be present for, you know, other people present for my own inner experience, some, um, you know, and I think the ritual that supports that is the wheel, actually. So I, I, you know, and I don't mean to, you know, be constantly coming back to the wheel, but it, you're asking about rituals. I would say that's my one ritual. I mean, besides Absolutely. walking the dog and working out my body, you know, I try to really, uh, really respect those ritual things. Yeah, for sure. And I think integrating consciousness and being present would be kind of the main underlying intention about those rituals. Perfect what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny you ask that because, you know, we just did a a week-long workshop, and that was the question asked of the faculty to address on a panel. Um, So I know it's a long response I'm capable of giving to that exact same question, although we did it with a 19-year-old self. Um, I guess I would say, you know, that I think there is a deep – mechanism of the mind that links science and spirituality in a way that will be important for us as a human family to deal with. And I think at 20, you know, I was being trained as a scientist and the, um, the parts of me that really were looking for more meaning and connection in life, uh, felt really hungry and couldn't really find answers in science. So I guess what I would say to my 20 year old self is, you know, keep with the disciplined study of science because you're going to find by staying actually pretty conservative to the sciences across the board, linking them all together, you know, that's going to be a really fruitful path for bridging science and spirituality. That's, that's what I would say to my 20-year-old self. Yeah, nice answer. How
0: would you define Success.
1: How would I define success? You know, I, I, it's so interesting. I usually don't use that term. So let me let me translate in ways that I guess I do think of. I think of the idea of being um, of service, uh, you know, to other people, to the world of, you know, trying to stick to a true path of, you know, connection to my inner world, um, that would allow me to kind of get a feeling for things that are true and see how they fit with the outer world of knowledge and stuff like that. So if I, if I did use the implication of the definition of success, because I don't really use that term, uh, it, it would be being of service and trying to be dedicated to disciplined, um, study of the truth, okay. um, something like that. Is that a term that you
0: don't use uh, for a particular reason or just have never used? or?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I grew up and still live in Los Angeles and the word success um, has the connotation, at least here where I grew up and where I still live, of material acquisition, yep. fame, fame and power. Hmm. Um, and all three of those things just are not appealing to me. So, so in LA, (laughs) I'll just speak for my little community here, you know, that's unfortunately that word success has such a connection to those things that I think I just, I just became like allergic to it and extruded it from my vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, which is precisely
0: why I ask the question: yeah. how People define success because I'm I'm in the same shoes as you. I think there's a there's this uh, attachment to that word that means something that actually has no purpose at all in a, yeah. um, in a, in our well, well-being.
1: Exactly, and now Lee, if you take your word, purpose, see that's beautiful, and that's like you know how we have service to others and. Like when I think sometimes like when I get up to writing a book, like just writing the book Aware or, you know, I've got a couple other books in me that are mulling around, getting ready to be written once I'm, I'm uh, done with some projects here, Perfect. you know, hmm. I, and I think about the purpose of them. You know, I don't think, oh, my God, is this book going to be successful or am I going to be successful? I think, like, what is the purpose? How, what's the service that this book coming into the world is going to provide, you know, hmm. whatever, you know, whatever that book happens to be about. So, so, and I wouldn't say that, so I don't use the phrase, you know, Oh, this book was successful. I might say this book was useful or this book reached out and connected with people in a really beautiful way, you know, so, so I, but I just would never use the word successful. It's so interesting. I should probably examine that. It's probably limiting me not using it, but
0: no, it I like it and I'm glad we've discussed it. So, um, it yeah. gives a lot of insight. What is a tool, skill, resource, or technique that has helped you improve your effectiveness or productivity?
1: What is a tool, resource, or what was it?
0: Skill, technique, anything that has helped you improve effectiveness and productivity. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I I think what it would be is, um, well, a couple of layers. I mean, I, I have a very doubting mind, like, it's just kind of my temperament or maybe it's my attachment history or a combination of the two. So like I doubt everything. I mean, you know, if I'm about to order something for dinner, I doubt that the order was the right order to I mean, my friends, (laughs) my friends can't believe that I write books. You know, how can I get through my doubt enough to actually type something out, let alone send that somewhere for someone to publish it in a book that they sent out. So you can be sure if I end up writing something, it's gone through such a filter of doubt that there, and because I'm trained as a scientist, there's um, there's a lot of uh, questioning and doubting, and you know it can be exhausting actually yeah. to be inside this body. but i think I think one of the positive sides to it, besides the exhaustion, which is kind of a negative side, you know, is that it it like when I have like I have sixteen interns work with me to revise the developing mind, my first textbook. And I said to them, I said, you know, your job as my intern is to find one thing that goes against what has been said in the prior edition. And let's, let's really challenge what was said before. They go, you mean that goes for? I said, no, 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 that goes against. It's easy to cherry pick and just find one thing that supports what you said. I want you to find one thing that goes against what was said in the earlier editions of this book. And so they go on a search. And I got to say it... it if, if you had to say, why has interpersonal neurobiology been so effective? We have the largest mental health library. Mm-hmm. We have 70 textbooks that I've overseen the publication of as the editor of that series with Norton. And, you know, it's still growing. And and I think the reason for that, I think, is to answer your question, you know, is the doubt. You know, I mean, I, I actually, when I, when I was trained in psychiatry and mental health... I doubted that what my teachers were saying was accurate. and It turns out it wasn't accurate what they were saying. Hmm. The DSM is not the holy grail of psychiatric disorders. And we could be a, a, a field called mental health, but no one actually questioned the fact that no one defined what the mental was or the health was. So, you know, doubting authority figures, including myself now that I'm an elder in the field, you know, uh, is a good thing. And I really encourage my interns to doubt me and doubt anything I've ever written. And I think that's the only way to do it. So I, that's my general statement, I would say, about yeah. uh, a good
0: stance to take. I think doubt has a bit of a negative connotation to it. Um,
1: it's, maybe it's inquiry. Maybe, but it's Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. To like to As you explained in... that, I sort
0: of thought it's more about questioning, asking why, basically, yeah. uh, not, not just yeah, accepting
1: maybe... things. Yeah, exactly. So, what's a good word for that, Lee? Would it be um, openness? Uh, openness. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's change it to openness. And I guess the thing about the doubt word for me is, you know, when I was a student, I wanted to be a good student. So let's say I'm training in pediatrics or psychiatry, or whatever. So I, you know, I, I wanted to accept that my teachers had their stuff together and what they were saying was right, and the textbooks were right, and all this stuff. It turned out that they were so missing the fundamental question, if we're talking about mental health of what the mind is, no one was addressing it. And no one was talking about what health was, if you can't say what the mind is. So I was like shocked and also embarrassed when I started just what are the, what were you, uh, opening to the questioning of the elders. They were kind of lost, probably lost for 2,500 years since the days of Hippocrates. So you know, uh, yeah. So let's call that opening to inquiry or something nice like that. Because, <laughs> da- da- And but it is doubting. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, you're going to tell me this for twenty five hundred years. You're the father of modern medicine, and I'm a physician. Uh, maybe not. So, what do you call that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that willingness to dive into the unknown, or whatever you call that thing. Yeah, that's perfect. If I was to serve you your last meal, what would you request? Mmm, wow. You know, I love vegetables and fruit. I'd probably go with something like this. I'd probably go with uh, people around me sharing the meal who I love, and avocado, uh, coconut. Um, I love broccoli. Um, And probably... I'm pretty crazy about um, sweet potatoes. (laughs) So that actually would be a perfect last meal. I would be, and that was some unbelievable music, probably my son's music, Alex Siegel. You can listen to his music. I would probably be playing Alex Siegel's music, looking at some of my daughter's beautiful drawings. She did the drawings for Whole Brain, not Whole Brain, for the Aware book. And uh, I'd have my partner, my life and work partner, Caroline Welch there, and She'd be uh, sharing some of her wonderful uh, things that she writes about, um, and we'd all be there. And, and I'd take a deep breath and, uh, and, and thank everybody for, uh, for a great ride. Sounds perfect.
0: What activity gives you the greatest sense of joy?
1: You know, actually, I would say it's a combination of talking to people, like speaking with you, Lee, right now, uh, uh, going for a hike with my loved ones, uh, making love, um, swimming. I'm crazy about swimming, uh, and singing with, uh, singing with people in a shared kind of joyous, uh, way about life. Yeah. Cool.
0: Uh, what book, what one book would you pass down to your children or future generations?
1: What, one book other than books I've written um, I would probably pass uh, John O'Donohue's book To Bless the Space Between Us which in, uh, in Europe is called Benedictus um, John's book is gorgeous he was a wonderful person who passed about his body died about 10 years ago and he and I were very very close and we're working on our own book together actually and it's a timeless book, and I guess I would you know, say that's a book that has a little bit for everybody, so I would pass that one on.
0: Perfect. We'll stick it in the show notes along with a couple of yours as well. Um, so, guys, jump onto thehiddenwire.com, episode 654, I think it is, um, and yeah, grab a couple of copies, support the show. Beautiful. What quote, phrase, or message would you text or tweet to everyone in the world?
1: Wow! Um, wow, that's so interesting. Uh, a couple of things. I, I would probably tweet um, something like "Integration made visible is kindness and compassion." Yeah, integration that, made visible it, is kindness and passion, and compassion. Yeah, compassion. And I, I, I would tweet that because. If you take on integration, you get health, you get connection and meaning, and then you get kindness and compassion. So it kind of it has everything all wrapped into just a couple of words. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you believe we all have a hidden why or a purpose?
1: Yes, okay. I do, actually. And I talk about this in a book called Mind, which has you know, the six intero- interrogatives that structure it. And one of them, of course, is Why? And in the why chapter, you know, of that book, I, I said, look, you got to be really hesitant to answer the question why, but through the deep discussion that the book provides, you know, I said, but if you read the science we've covered so far, the answer to the why is integration, that the purpose is being kind and compassionate, being loving. And, uh, Presence is a natural portal for that integration, that love to arise. So in many ways, this book, Aware, is exactly uh, the deep dive into the question of why.
0: Mm, Cool. What does living life with passion and purpose mean to you?
1: Living life with passion and purpose? Mm. Hmm. You know, I think when you get beneath all the socially constructed Uh, filters of consciousness that we have from what we've learned and get into more into pure awareness into the hub, not just the rim, you release a kind of energy that is filled with love and drive that Mm -hmm. I think for me would be what passion is. And when you allow that passion, which is associated with pleasure and excitement and energy and joy and all, when you allow that to be of service to others it gets woven beautifully into purpose. So when you have passion woven with purpose, being of service to others, you know, besides this body you're you're inhabiting, um, you get you know what Angela Duckworth has been studying, which is grit. You know, where you you stick to it, you get persistence basically in the face of challenges, and you develop you know what Carol Dweck would call a, a growth mindset. Yeah. So purpose and passion are things that allow grit and persistence and a growth mindset rather than being stuck in a fixed mindset to emerge. So in a way they're beautiful words, but the science that's behind them supports uh, an empirical view that I think is the feeling of it is those words, purpose and passion feel like they're really important and the research would support your gut feeling, cultivate your purpose and passion so you can actually not only thrive yourself, but bring more well-being to others.
0: So well explained. (laughs) I love it.
1: Um,
0: My final question is, what do you believe is the underlying motivation behind everything
1: you do? What do I think is the underlying motivation behind everything I do? First of all, these are fabulous questions. (laughs) And since for whatever reason, I didn't read them ahead of time, I'm hearing them for the first time. uh, And this is great because you're getting me thinking on the fly. Um, Perfect. (laughs) What do I think? You know, I'm just going to say it. I think it's love. Yeah. Uh, You know, and what's so interesting is the neural correlates of love and pure awareness are basically identical. And when you drop people into the hub of the wheel, because I've done this, you know, systematically with 10,000 people Mm. for the study. And now I've done it with tens and tens of thousands of people more. And so when you drop people into the hub in the practice, they'll say things like, you know, I was with God, I was with love, I felt amazing joy, I felt connected to everything. And I guess this journey at this moment Invites for my own reflection on my own, you know, this body's life through the world, because we're all deeply interconnected. You know, I would say that the underlying thing is to really not only experience presence, but when you do, you actually realize that's where we're all deeply interconnected with each other through the the hub, you know, and, and when we understand the mechanisms of what that is. And so I would say everything is about trying to really cultivate that hub, that presence in the experience that's going on within this person called Dan, but then ultimately to realize that as we do that, you know, we connect with others and can help them find that same access to this deep source of awareness, presence, and, and love. And I would say that's everything I do is about trying to have us realize that the self, this SELF is not just, what happens in your head it's not just what happens in your skin and case body, but it's a deeply relational unfolding, yes, that happens inside you for sure, but who you are, who we are as a self uh, and what underlies what, quote "I do" in terms of the question is to realize the incredible interconnectedness of what the self is That's perfect.
0: Dan, thank you for such a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it and uh, learnt a lot and got me thinking a lot too. So I really appreciate your time coming on the show and sharing with us all today.
1: Oh, a pleasure, Lee. It was a lot of fun and uh, keep up your wonderful work.
0: Thank you. And guys, check it all out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 654. All the show notes will be in there and the links, etc. Make sure you check out Dan's website as well, the resources, the meditations, etc. And uh, pick up a copy of the book too. Um, it's sure to be a cracker of a book. So Dan, thanks once again. Lynn, thank you, it's been a pleasure Until next time, peace, passion and purpose See you soon Thanks guys for listening to this episode I hope you enjoyed what you heard I hope you love what you're hearing If you like this episode guys Or any of the episodes that you're listening to Here at The Hidden Why Please do me a favour by sharing it You can share it with your families You can share it with your loved ones You can do that by using your favourite social media channels Using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast